How many people know we're serving a great God? Amen. There is no one like him. There is no one like our God. I don't know if you're like me, but I'd say I could, you know, praise God like for forever. How many people were there last Friday where we spent time in prayer and in worship? Amen. How many people were blessed? Amen. It was a it was a great time. It's great to be with you guys this morning. Thank you to the worship team for your ministry that you always do. Father God, please be with us this afternoon as we engage in your word. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. I moved to the United States a few years ago. Um, I want to say out of the top of my head, maybe 13, 14 years ago. And what you find is the more that you are living someplace, you adopt the customs of the place. Right? Most of us here, if not all of us, are whether immigrants or children of immigrants to this land. But as we spend more time here, we adopt some of their um, customs, right? Um, if I would speak to you in French, I could speak French the way uh, standard international French, or I could speak in the slang of the Quebec people. You would not understand me. Uh, I would use terms that are, um, you know, very particular to that area. If you are um, an American and you grew up in Texas, I'm sure you could adopt some of the Texas slang. Um, I love America. I love a lot of things about America. There's certain things that makes you, I think, makes you real American. One is barbecue, right? Middle America is a grill. I like that. Another one is um, sports. Um, you know, Americans love their sports. I love basketball, so that check makes me American. Um, but there's one American customs that I cannot get into. Is American loves their pets. How many people here, a show of hands, you have a pet, you have a dog or a cat? I see a couple, I see a few hands. You guys that have a pet, you are the real American. You are true, true Americans. Now, you guys, you don't have a pet, put your hands down. We're not getting a dog. Okay? They're like, oh, daddy, we want a puppy. I say, you gonna walk the puppy? You're going to pick up the poop of the puppy? I, I, I ain't doing all of that. I look at the people in my neighborhood. They walk their dogs, and then they got to walk with a little bag and then pick up the poop. And I, actually, when I first moved there, man, it, they get on my nerves. You know when you, you, you leave your, your, your garbage can outside? Some of them thought that was the place to put their dog poop. I come home, I pull it, and I see there's like in the bag, though, in the bag. So at least they put it in the bag. I'm like, dude, this is too much drama. It's too much effort to take care of a pet. But the um, Americans love their pets. Um, Quebec people, Canadian people, they love their pets too. The pet food industry is a $100 billion industry. $100 billion that goes to, to pet food. When I was a kid, I tried one of them dog food. That's nasty. Like, it's not good. It's not, you know, it's not like, it's not like cordon bleu or anything. And, and so, but Americans, they love their pets. You see all over the place, there's um, uh, pet hospitals, you know, animal hospitals, veterinarians, they make good money. Um, to the point that Hollywood even picked up on this, and they made a movie um, not too long ago called uh, The Secret Life of Pets. You guys ever saw that movie? The Secret Life of Pets, right? Um, that movie made more than $800 million in the box office, the first one. 
And then they made a second one who made $400 million. That's a lot of money. The Americans, they love their pets. So today what I want to talk to you about is not the secret life of pets, but it's the sacred life of pets. Um, and no, I'm not talking about pets being holy. Um, in Quebec, I saw on the news one time, the Catholic Church would allow people to bring their pets to church. And you could bring your pet to church and they would take the holy water and like bless the pet. So you would have a blessed dog. So maybe he wouldn't in your house or something, right? The dog is blessed. Now, so that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the sacred life of pets. And for our purposes today, pets stands for Paul, Epaphroditus, Timothy, and someone special. Please open your Bibles with me. As you know, we're going through the book of Philippians. So the passage that is before us today is Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 to 29. Philippians chapter 2, Verse 19 to verse 29. And it goes like this. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as soon as a son, sorry, with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him." So that you, when you see him again, you will be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to, to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Amen. The word of God is already blessed. So as we mentioned, we are making our way through the... Um, the book of uh, Philippians, um, we already went through some of the contexts where we know that Paul, when he writes this letter, he's in jail. Um, he's writing a letter to the church of, in Philippi, uh, a church that he founded. Uh, when he founded it, it was under um, a lot of turmoil and persecution. So, so we know that already. Um, but I think it'd be good to go back and understand who Paul is, uh, understand some of Paul's background. Um, so we read the text, and the text talks about the text is written by Paul. It talks about Epaphroditus. It talks about Timothy. But to understand what the text is saying, it's good to understand who those people are. And so the story of Paul doesn't start in in, in Philippi. Obviously, it starts in Acts chapter seven. 
And it doesn't start with him. It starts with um, Stephen. So Paul, Paul is a man who saw heaven. But how did he get to that point? So follow with me in Acts chapter 7. Before Paul got saved. Now I know most of us, we grew up in the church. And so we think that it becomes natural um, to, to be saved. But some of us, before we became saved, we were in the world. Before we were all sanctified, holified, you know, nice suit, tie, and all of that, we, we had experience in, in the world. And Paul is one such person. Paul, he could have been called the fiery Pharisee, which means he, he was, um, yes, religious, but he was religious according to the law. He was part of a sect called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they were so into the law of God uh, the Old Testament, the laws, that they invented more laws to protect the law, right? So if they, the law said you could not work on the Sabbath, they would say you cannot even pick a grain as a snack because that would equate work. So they would have laws upon laws upon laws upon laws. So when a group of people come and start preaching something different than what he's accustomed to, he is very fervent to defending what he believed. And so he oversees the persecution of the first church, and he oversees the death of the first martyr. And we find that in Acts chapter 7, verse 54 to 59, it says... um, so before we go there, Stephen, which was one of the deacons in the church, uh, a man filled of the Holy Spirit, was preaching the word with, with, with power from God, like with a wisdom that is beyond the wisdom of men. And he got arrested and he got brought in front of the Sanhedrin and he defended what he believed in front of them. If you want a summary of the, the story of, of Israel, Tune in Acts chapter 7. He goes over the whole thing and shows how the people of God have a tendency to be rebel and to be, um, you know, to, to be rebellious against God. And then he ends and he calls, he talks to the Sanhedrin. And that's you. You guys are like that, right? So it's kind of not, not a nice way if you want to get freed to accuse the people of being rebellious. But they did not like what they heard. So it goes like this, Acts chapter 7, 54, 59. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, at this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. This is the story of the first martyr. This is the first person in Scripture who lost his life 
because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the first one that they took on trial. They said, we don't like what you're saying. Because we don't like what you're saying, we're going to take your life. And they killed him. And it says that they, the people who were there, they brought their coat at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul would later change his name to, well, his name would, he would be later called Paul. And a few things catch my attention in this passage. First is that Stephen says, look, I see the Son of Man. Look, I see the Son of Man. And that just shows us how intense that vision of heaven must have been for Stephen. And what you find is when people are going through hardship, a lot of time, God will give him extra revelation. When you're going through something, when you're pressed by the circumstances of life, a lot of times, that's when you have a bigger, a deeper revelation of who God is. He says, look, if the vision was only in his mind, he wouldn't have said, look. He would have said, maybe, thank you, God, or yes, I feel you, God. But he said, look, that means for him, it is as present as you and our, as you and I are in, in the same place. I can see you. I see you, Kelsey. Hi, how you doing? You're right here, right? And I see faces that I haven't seen in a while. I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to be in your presence. If you're watching online and you can, and you're in the Fort Lauderdale, Pompano area, come. It's better in presence. Amen. And so Stephen, it feels to him like he's in the presence of God. Like he says, look, like it's like, hey, guys, guys, look, look, I see the son of man. And he's standing next to the throne of God. And they're like freaking out because they don't have the same revelation that Stephen has. But he sees the throne of man. And somebody pointed out that when you read about that in, in Scripture, normally the son of man is seated. The, the, the lamb is seated on the throne. But at that moment, Stephen said he saw him standing. It's almost like Jesus saw his beloved come home and he stood up to welcome him. And, 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 and then Stephen says two things that attract my attention. He says, number one, he says, Lord, receive my spirit. Lord, receive my spirit. Meaning he, he's, he, he's ready to go home. He's ready to go in the He knows that he fulfilled his purpose for his generation and he's ready to go home. He knows that this thing, he's not saying, God, you know, stop him or God, you know, make me resist the stone. Says, God, take me. I'm ready. Because he was ready to go home. But then he, he prays like Jesus prayed and he says, don't hold this sin against them. Do not hold this sin against them. And that prayer is significant because standing right there, persecuting him, persecuting Stephen, is the man that would turn out around and be one of the biggest builders of the church. And one thought to have is understand that even though Saul oversaw the killing of Stephen, they're going to be together in heaven. Amen. Amen. They're going to be chatting and having fun together in heaven. So Paul... Saul, at that point, when he oversaw the killing of, of, of Stephen, that was not enough. And it says that at that point, that started a big persecution. So the church of Jerusalem now split. The church, like uh, everybody that, that got saved, not everybody, but a lot of the people that got saved, they fled because now they were afraid for their life. Which is funny because up to that point, the church of Jerusalem had not gone out. Had not, they had stayed in Jerusalem and they grew and they grew and they grew thousands of people getting saved, but they're staying put. 
what was the Great Commission? It was to go and make all nations disciples. It was to go and when God said, you know, you'll be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the, the ends of the earth. They were not fulfilling that, so God allowed a persecution, and now they're spreading all over the place. And, and, and Saul being so determined. You ever see somebody that's an overachiever? You ask them to do this much, and they do that much? That was Paul. He's an overachiever. So now he goes, and he gets permission to start and go persecute Christian, and he goes not only in Jerusalem, now he's on his way to Damascus, which is a whole other country in Syria, and he's on his way to Damascus with one goal. Find Christians, men and women, and bring them to jail. If he has to kill them, he's going to kill them. Whatever he has to do, that's the one goal that he has. And while he's on his way to Damascus, boom, he, saw the, he sees a big light. And when he sees that big light, he falls off the horse and, and he hears a voice and, and the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you? He says, I am Jesus Christ whom you persecute. And at that moment, Paul realized he was dealing with somebody that was bigger than him. What is marking in, in that saying of Jesus? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting them? Why are you persecuting my children? Why are you persecuting my disciples? He said, why are you persecuting me? Understanding that when you attack the church of God or when somebody attacks you, the child of God, they're attacking Christ. They're attacking Christ. So that's why when somebody attacks you, you don't have to take it personal. If somebody's making a diss of you or dissing your faith, you don't have to take it personal because they're not attacking you. They're attacking Christ. And what Christ made it clear to Paul at that point is he takes that personally. He says, why are you attacking me? And so that's why whenever you do something to a child of God, it's like if you're doing it to God himself. If the child of God is hungry and you give him food, the Bible says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When, when somebody is in, in prison and you go visit them, the Bible says, when I was in jail, you visited me. So when you do something unto a child of God, it's like if you're doing it to God himself. And so at that point... Paul decided, okay, you know what? I'm on the wrong side of this battle. I'm battling something, but this, 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 this God that's able to, to just show up and show up like this. So Paul gives his life to Christ, and now he changes everything. And now the one guy that was destroying the church would become one of the biggest pillars in building the church. It's estimated that Paul probably funded, founded 20 churches. 20 churches in all the different cities that he went to, Philippi, Ephesus, Galatia, all of those different regions, he founded churches, probably 20. How many books of the New Testament did Paul write? Sunday school quiz. He wrote 13 out of the 27. So that's like half of the New Testament was written by Paul. So you got Peter, James, John, Jude, Luke, all of these other guys is one half. And Paul by himself, he did the other half of the New Testament. But Paul's life wasn't all accolades and flowers. 
There is also nobody in the scripture that was persecuted like he was persecuted. You guys remember the movie, The Passion of Christ? You remember how they were whipping Jesus and then uh, with the medals and how he grabbed the flesh and all of that? Paul had to go through that not one time, not two times, not three, five times in his life. Five times in his life this happened to Paul. Another um, three times in his life he got beaten by the Romans. So that, that when, when they lash you like that, that's the, the Jews. And then the Jews had their piece of him and then the Romans would have their piece of him. So he got beat up by the Romans three times. He got um, shipwrecked three times also. He got, one time he got stoned. And they, that's when they take rocks and they throw at you. And he got stoned so bad, they thought he was dead. They look, it's all right, we're done, he's dead. But God said, no, I'm not done with you. And he allowed him to live. So Paul went through trials after trials after trials. And that's just the persecution. Then he had to travel. And, and he had to travel tens of thousands of miles. And he didn't have a car. I know you're looking at the meter on your car and say, oh, it's like 50,000 miles. But Paul, they were walking everywhere they went. They were on donkey back everywhere they went. Rivers, bandits, all of those different um, dangers that you had when you were traveling in those days. And that's just that aspect of it. And then he had to worry about the ministry, right? The Corinthians is like um, the drama church, always drama and people teaching false stuff. And now he has to write to correct and all. And that's a lot of, a lot of pain. And then you ask yourself, how was Paul able to sustain such trials? How was he able to keep going even though he was going through hardship after hardship after hardship? I mean, I mean, I read this and I think, I, I think Paul is Haitian. I mean, like, like Haiti is always going through hardship, hardship, hardship. But how is it that if you ever look at the Haitian mummies, right, how is it that they're able to stand? How is it that, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I don't think there's a group of people that has more faith than the Haitian mummies. That has more, um, I don't know, there's like a faith, there's like a fervor in them, right? But I think Paul gives us the answer. If you follow with me in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 to 4. And so all the persecution that he went through, you can find that in 2 Corinthians 11. And he, he's talking to the church and he's saying, I went through this, I went through that, I went through this. But that's not what I want to boast about. That's not what is important to me. Here's what is important. He says, verse chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I, I know a man... And now he's talking about himself in Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. And so basically what Paul is saying is. Yes, I'm going through all these things on earth, and I could boast about that, but that's not what is important to me. What's important to me is 14 years ago, I had a vision, and I don't know. That vision was so real. I don't know if I was there in body, which kind of seems weird, or if it was just like in spirit, but I was taken into heaven. I saw paradise. I saw where it all ends. I saw why we're doing what we're doing, and 
he said, I heard things, I saw things, and the, the word is inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. So he saw things that even if he tried to say, he would not be able to. It's not that God is forbidding him to say it. It's that he doesn't have the capacity to put it in words for us to understand what he saw. If, if you, if you kind of want to know why we're doing what we're doing, if you go in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, 22, the book of John, John describes the, um, the new Jerusalem coming down. And, and sometimes we read, but we don't pay attention to what we're reading. When, when you read that description of heaven, there's kind of things that blow your mind. Number one, the city is the size of the United States. When if you would do the measurement the way Paul is, um, John is saying it in the book of Revelation, the city would be the size of the United States. Now think about this a second. A city the size of the United States. If you look at a map of the United States, Miami is this big. South Florida is this big. The whole city is the size of a country. And then he goes and describes and he says the main street of the city is made out of gold, but that is transparent like glass. It's made out of gold, but it's transparent like glass. Okay, I, I know we don't roll like that so much, but if you ever see gold, it's not transparent, right? It's not transparent. So what John is trying to express is something that is as refined and precious as gold, but that is pure as glass. And it's not something that we can really understand because we don't have that. We don't have something that is it's kind of like if you mix gold and diamond together. And then he goes on and he says, there are 12 doors to the city. And the 12 doors, each door are made with one pearl. Now, I don't know. Now, you might have a pearl necklace. Pearls are not big to make a door. They're like this small. But somehow that city is made. And, and, and so John is trying to express to us the glory of the city, but we can't. So the best way maybe that we can understand how great heaven is, is by looking at how much persecution Paul had to go through. Because what he says, if you follow with me in Romans 8, 18, so you see all the persecution that Paul went through. Romans 8, 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You look at everything that Paul went through and he's saying, everything that I went through, all the beatings, all the persecution, the stoning, all of that, it doesn't even come close to the glory to come. And, and, and one example, if I, if I can use that, how many people you had a resolution to go to the gym when this, or exercise when the year started? Amen. Or, or, maybe, or maybe you're like, you know what? Okay, now, that's a real question. How many had a resolution sometime in your life? 
Because right now, maybe you realize after five years of resolution that didn't work, I ain't going to try this year, right? So how many people had a resolution at some point in your life to say, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to train every day. Actually, I'm going to train every day for two hours. I'm going to do one hour in the morning before I go to work, and I'm going to do an hour after when I come from work, right? And then the morning comes, oh, snap, no gym, amen. Because let's face it, unless you're that type of person, the gym is boring. I need to go to the gym. I mean, come on. Like, it's no fun. There's no, like, eh. now, it's useful, but it's boring, right? It's like, whoever goes to the gym, like, unless you're that guy, right? You're that guy. Nobody goes to the gym and say, yes, you know, I'm going to. No, yeah, you feel happy when you go to the movies, yeah? You go to the concert, yeah? You come to Bible study, yeah? Amen. But you go to the gym, you're like, okay. <laughs> but what if I told you, at the end of the year, I will give you $10 million tax-free if you show up to the gym every day. All you have to do is show up to the gym, train for 30 days, and at the end of the year, you get $10 million for sure. I guarantee you, you will not miss one day of gym. You will be at the gym every day because you know that at the end, there's a $10 million check waiting for you. Amen. Amen. Who wants to take that deal? Amen. I, I remember when we were young, there was a fighter, a boxer called Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson was, 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 was oh man, that was terrible. Like, meaning good, terrible. Mike Tyson at 18 years old, I think he came in the league in, in the professional baseball and he won like 20 straight. You had a kid, 20, 19, 20 years old, and he's fighting grown men and the fight goes like this. One fight against, uh, I think it was Michael Spinks, Michael Picks or Michael Spinks. Michael Spinks was 30 victory, zero defeat. He came in the ring with Mike Tyson. A minute and a half later, Michael Spinks was 30 and one. Mike Tyson, the kid, took care of business in an, a minute and a half in a boxing match. The fastest Mike Tyson knocked somebody out was 39 seconds. 39 seconds. Comes in, boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Referee comes and we're good, we're good? Okay, we're good. It's over. When we were young, we used to have that challenge that says, would you go in the ring with Mike Tyson? I said, yeah. And back then it was a million dollars. Now with inflation, man, I need 30 million. I'm not going in the ring with Mike Tyson for no million. You're going to keep your million. 30 million, and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to go, ping, ping. And I'm going to fall on the floor. That's it. It's over. It's over. Like, I'm not, you know, because, and even now, you see videos of Mac Tyson at 54. He is still punched. I don't want to meet Mac Tyson in the back alley. But if you make the price high enough, I might, and I would train, and I would train for one thing, one thing alone. Survive the punch. That's it. It's to survive the punch. You go in the ring with Mike Tyson, all you want is to be able to survive the punch. 
because you know that on the other side, there's a $30 million check. When you know what's waiting on the other side, when you know the glory that is to come, and, and it's hard for us because we have not experienced what Paul experienced. Paul had to go through so much hardship, but he saw the other side, and that was, was gave him the courage and gave him the stamina to go through what he went through because he knew the glory to come. So my first encouragement for you today, it's like Paul, is to try to see God. We often look at our situation, we look at what we're going through, but we don't, we forget the end. We forget what, what we're, why we're fighting the way we're fighting, why we're going what we're going through, why we're doing what we're doing. We're doing it because this is not our home. This is not all there is to it. It's not here. But God has called us to greater. God has called us to be eventually in his presence. So that is, that is Paul and, and Having seen the glory of God, that's what gave Paul the, 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 the courage, the stamina to go through what he's going through. And that's why he was in jail at least three times, if not five times in jail. And this book is written by one of those when he was in jail. So that's Paul. Which take us now to his comrade right now, which is Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus, so Paul, he's doing everything because he saw the glory of God. And now he knows what's waiting. And he says he wants to see everybody go with him in heaven. That's why Paul is doing what he's doing. He's doing what he's doing because he saw God. Well, I'm not saying he saw God, God, but he saw the kingdom of God. He saw the glory of God. He saw what was coming. Epaphroditus, we don't know a lot about him. We don't know um, his history. This book is the only book that talks about Epaphroditus, and this passage is, is the most that we hear about him. But from this passage, we can get a sense of what drove Epaphroditus, and it's, um, he saw the needs of others. Epaphroditus, try to say Epaphroditus three times fast. Uh, try Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus. He saw the needs of others. So if you follow with me in our passage, Philippians 2, 25 to 29, so the second portion, a portion that talks more about him. So Paul is like, okay, you know what? Yes, I want to send you Timothy, but I kind of need Timothy right now because Timothy is my, you know, is my ride or die. So I need him right now. But you know what? I think anyways, it's better for me to send you Epaphroditus. And here's what he says. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you send to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. 
we get a, a little, if you read closely, you get a little context for, for even for this letter. So he, Paul says, um, I'm going to send back Epaphroditus, which is your messenger, which we take from that, that Epaphroditus came to Paul sent by the church of Philippi. And what we will find later in the letter, he brought a lot of things. He brought gifts to, to Paul and he brought help to him. So he's the messenger from the church. And so what we can get from that is, because understand, this is not Cancun. We're not asking um, him to go to Cancun. We're not asking him to go to the Bahamas. Right? We're asking him to go visit somebody that is a Roman, in a Roman jail. And so we get from that that Epaphroditus doesn't look at his own interest. He looks at the interest of others. He looks at how he can be of service to others. To the point, it says, that when he embarked on this journey to bring the help to Paul, he himself got sick. So he, it's not only that he takes care of others, is that he takes care of others to the point that it hurts. That he takes care of the need of other people before his own interest, even if that means that he himself is hurt. And he says that he was ill to the point that he almost died. To the point that he almost died. Now, obviously, they didn't have the same medicine that we have today. They didn't have all of that. But, but still, at any point in his journey, he could have quit to take care of his health, but he kept going because other people needed him. Now, I want to take a parenthesis here, since both Epaphroditus and Timothy, if we would have time, we would see, were sick, were, were had the tendency to be sick. I want to take a parenthesis here, just briefly to tell you, take care of your health. Take care of your health. If you are counting on our medical system to take care of you, you're in trouble. Because our medical system is set up, we call it health care, but we should really call it disease care. Because our medical system is set up to take care of symptoms, right? It's set up to take care of you when you have a problem. But what I want to put a parenthesis here is, Take care of yourself before there's a problem, before things get bad. Um, and the way we're set up, like I grew up with eczema, right? I grew up with eczema and asthma in Canada. So that's, that's fun. That's fun because, you know, when it gets cold and you can't breathe, <laughs> you can't breathe. And then your parents have to take you to the hospital and then they put you on the breathing machine. And I used to think in the breathing machine, oh, I'm an astronaut, so I'm flying in space. No, you're not. You're stuck in the hospital, dude. Like, come on. But... I grew up with that, and I would ask the doctor, well, is there anything I can do to take care of these patches? And they would say, no, there's nothing you could do. A doctor even told me, he says, we don't know what it is, but it's a package for black kids. That's what he said. He said, it's a package. Like, black kids, asthma, eczema comes together. We don't know why. And I remember thinking as a kid, I said, well, did you guys try to figure out why? I didn't say that, right? You know, my parents are Haitian, and... But I, 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 was, I was thinking. And my problems got so bad that then it added with eye inflammation. And if you look at, let's say, Perry, if you don't mind getting up, you see Perry's thigh? Your, your thigh, that thigh? That was my eyes. 
my two eyes, they would get red like that, and it was, it was bad. To the point that I went to the ophthalmologist one time, and they look in my eye, and it's two of them, and they're looking in my eye, and they're like, oh, wow, did you see that? Did you see that? Wow, wow. And I'm like, what did you guys discover? If you discover a new disease, you want to give it my name? You know, like, will I be famous? And so they schedule a biopsy. A biopsy is when they open you up, and they, um, they take a piece of you. Because I, I did um, urine tests, right? And in the urine, they found uh, something bad in there. And when that thing is found in there, that shows that you have kidney issues. So they want to take a piece of my kidney. So they scheduled the biopsy. And um, in between the biopsy, I go on vacation. I go on vacation in Mexico. But I go on vacation in Mexico. It's not, you know, the big city. It's not Cancun. It's the boondocks. It's a little village boondocks. And I go in the little village boondocks and being with that population, we eat what they eat. And so when I come back, they do another test and they find that my numbers are all better. My numbers are all better. They're all, they're all, they're all better numbers. So, and so we're about to get the biopsy at the hospital. My mom is there, and my mom is like, Oh, no, there's Jesus, you're about to move it more. Like she's praying with everything she got. And when the tests come back and my numbers are better, the doctor said, Well, if your numbers are better, I'm not going to open you up. If just keep doing what you're doing, and then we'll revisit and see. Because, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a little thing, once they open you up, you know, there might be consequences. So they didn't open me up. So I started thinking to myself, why is it that things change? So I started thinking about, well, I was in Mexico. I was eating. Uh, so I started comparing the two. And while I was in Montreal, I used to eat every day cow's milk with pemamba. Every day, morning and night, four slices of peanut butter bread, white bread, with, with cow's milk. I was like, okay, well, maybe that's the problem. So I stopped doing that. And it took years, because I've, I had been eating that for years. But every year after year, year after year, the patches get smaller, the breathing gets better, and the eye situation gets better. Up to a point, the last time I went to the ophthalmologist, the guy was like, oh, you were here a year ago. And then I've never went back. Now you consider this, milk, cow's milk, is for the cow and her, her calf, right, the calf. You know that the calf grows 365 pounds in a year, when it grows. That's what cow's milk is for. In Canada, they give you cow's milk at school. They bring it to you at school. Like, you drink it. If you find yourself with chronic disease, right, so eczema, asthma, all of that stuff, you see a patch on your skin, but the source is not the patch on your skin. The source is something in your system that then shows itself in the patch. When I did my blood test, they, they asked me, how are your joints? I said, my joints are fine. They said, because when we see that in the blood, a lot of times it leads to people having arthritis. I was like, dude, I'm like 20. I don't have arthritis. But guess what? Arthritis, eczema, all, all of that are inflammation. 
All of that are inflammation. So the problem is not your skin. The problem is what you put in your gut that then goes and manifests itself in your skin. And it's a little bit like sin, right? Where sin, you might have lust, and you think the problem is your eyes. The problem is not your eyes, it's your heart. You might have anger issues, and you think, oh, the problem is what they did. And the problem is not what they did, the problem is your heart. There's, so you have what the symptom is, but then you need to go to the root cause. And the thing with our, our healthcare system, we don't go to the root cause. Now, I, I'm using this now because understand this. So Paul was in a situation where if Epaphroditus would have passed, he said, that would have brought sorrow upon sorrow on me, right? And a lot of us are young, and so we, we don't think about that, right? But I want to challenge you to live today for t your decade, the next decade. So you live in your 20s for your 30s. You live in your 30s for your 40s. You live in your 40s for your 50s. And you do it, number one, because you're going to feel better. And, and, and you all know what, 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 what is the key to health. What was the key to health? Exercise. Right? And exercise doesn't mean the gym. You can get up and walk. Take a walk uh, in the sunshine. Number, that's number one. Number two is eat right. You know what to eat. You know, like Burger King. Not so much. Have it your way. Right? Not, not so much. Yeah, McDonald's. I'm liking it. Your body ain't liking it. Your body ain't liking it. Maybe Subway, $5 foot long. With inflation now, it's $10 foot long, right? But you have to take care of your health. And last thing on the health before I close it, one key that we're missing is vitamin D. The... Um, if you're watching us online and you live, I want to say up, like let's say from Georgia up, for sure, 100%, you're vitamin D deficient. Now, vitamin D is so important that how God set this thing up, he made that we would get primarily vitamin D, how? With our skin, the biggest organ of our body, in contact with the biggest ball of fire in the sky. Sun, sun exposure is what gives us vitamin D, the main source, right? So imagine how important it must be for God to make it that your skin, which is everywhere, and the sun. And now what, what they find is vitamin D is linked to everything. Cancer, heart disease, depression. And, and, and so sometimes you, you are going through something in your body and you think that you need a pill. You don't need a pill. You need you need to change a habit. You need to change your, you need to exercise. You need to, to, to make sure you get enough vitamin D. You need to make sure you get enough of those different nutrients. And by fixing the source, then you fix the symptom. And then you get to live healthy. Because think about it, right? If you're sick, you're focused on your sickness. If you're healthy, you're focused on the work of God. You're focused on the purpose of God. And so if you don't do it for yourself, do it for us because we want you to be well. Because we want, we want you to be healthy. We want you to, to thrive. And, and, and there's no joy, more joy that we get when we see one of you guys thrive and do well and, 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 and be well, right? And, and so Paul finds himself in a situation with Epaphroditus that he was ill to the point where if God did not intervene and, 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 and allow Epaphroditus to heal, you know, Paul would have been sorrow upon sorrow. And so what we find in Epaphroditus is 
he cares so much for other people that he did so to, to the point of hurting himself. Let me ask you, who are you caring for? Who's, who do you, whose need do you see? Whose need do you see? And, and I want to challenge you that, and we spoke about it a little bit last week, that passion that you have, that fire that you have is because somebody else needs it. It's not only about you. And, and that's what we see with him. His life wasn't about himself. It was about helping other people. And he did that, it tells us, because of Christ. Paul finishes this passage and he says, Honor such men because he served to the point where he almost died for the work of Christ. So everything that you do, you do it for Christ. It's not only for yourself. And so Paul is the man who saw heaven. He saw the glory of God. Epaphroditus is the man who saw the needs of others. And then we have Timothy in the story. And Timothy, he's the man who saw the man who saw heaven. Meaning that Timothy, he is Paul's right-hand guy. We saw last week where they met in Galatia, and Paul was a young man, and he, got, he became highly recommended. And they've been rolling together. They've been, you know, seeing the victories of the miracles together, where Paul got so powerful at a point with the power of the Holy Spirit that he would walk in a city, and they would take his handkerchief and, and, and throw it on a sick person, and the sick person would be well. He was... Paul was so endowed with the power of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't a great speaker. He wasn't like Peter. Peter was a great speaker. Paul was quite boring. Like, and, I, and I shared that with you one time where Paul is preaching and there's this guy. He's sitting on the window and Paul is preaching an all-nighter. You think I'm long? Try to spend all night listening to Paul. And then Paul is, is preaching and then the guy falls asleep and he falls from the third floor. So in third floor building Sunday school, imagine your teacher's so boring, you fall down. And you know what Paul does? Paul goes down, say, uh-uh, I'm not done. In the name of Jesus, rise up. And the guy resurrects from the dead, goes back to sit down and listen to Paul preach. Timothy was a witness to all of that. He saw everything that Paul went through. If you follow with me, in 2 Timothy 3.10 verse 12, it says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, suffering, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconomium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He saw everything that um, Tim, uh, Paul went through. When we read the passage, we get a sense that that relationship that Paul has to Timothy is a little deeper. They have a deeper bond. So that's why he says, you know what, in the first part, I would send you Timothy, but I need him right now. I need him to know what's going to happen to me. I need him right now because he's been to me like a father is and a son. And back in the day, you would know that if I was a farmer, my son would become a farmer and he would come and, and we would plow the ground together. If I was a carpenter, my son would be a carpenter. And so what, what, what 
Paul is saying is, Timothy was with me like a son, and I'm showing him everything that, that I know. He's seen everything. So right now, in my time of need, in my deepest time, I need him. They have a deeper bond, and that is a bond from discipleship. It's the bond that you have. It's a discipleship relationship. It's more than just a business relationship. It's more than even just a ministry relationship. When Paul is gone, Timothy's going to take over. And that's what we saw in First uh, and Second Timothy, where Paul put Timothy in charge of the churches in Ephesus, the multiple churches in the city of Ephesus where Timothy was in charge. And here's what Paul gave Timothy in Second Timothy 2, verse 1 to 3. He says, You then, my son, be strong, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others, join me with this in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul has trained Timothy. And that second Timothy is one of Paul's, if not Paul's, last letter. So Paul knows it, he, it's, it, it, it's a wrap. Like he's about to go and be in the glory of God. He's about to go and be in the presence of God. So he's writing Timothy. And one of his last instructions is, you saw me do things. And that's my instructions for you guys, right? You saw me do things. You, 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 you saw... Um, the way I spoke. You saw the, the persecution I went through. You saw everything I said in front of the public. I entrusted to you, Timothy. So now, you, Timothy, entrusted to other people that are reliable. So that's discipleship. It's you take what Paul took, what Jesus gave him, gave it to Timothy, and for Timothy to give it to other people. Which brings us to the last person, the special someone. And the special someone is the man or woman who will see the needs of our time. And that special person, that special person is you. Is you. My challenge to you and my question to you is, is what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Most of you here grew up whether in this church or in a church. And so you remember the days back, first time when I came, um, the man who was in charge was John LaRose. He was the leader. And he did his ministry. And then when I came back, Pastor Lesseg was there. And y'all were in Bible study with uh, Brother Mark, but then Brother Perry, now Pastor Perry. And y'all, the pizza after Bible study. Um, y'all were at the camps. Y'all were in Sunday school, uh, Clervin's class, Eli's class, Taffy, VBS. How many people? VBS, Amen. Ministry after ministry after ministry after ministry poured into you. But what you might not realize is that those people, Sir Brigitte, Pastor Hector, who founded the church, Pastor LaRose, who came and preached for a year for us, and all of those different ministers, they sacrificed for you. They sacrificed for you to be able to get the word of God. So then the question is, and that question I, I have in my heart, none come from me, it comes from God. What are you going to do for somebody else? What are you going to do for the generation to come after you? You know, there's multiple generations between me and you. What are you going to do for the people coming after you? You, you, you? Yes, it's good to come. Yes, it's good to receive. But eventually, you have to take what you receive and you have to give it to somebody else. You have to be active in making an impact in somebody else's life. 
It cannot only be about you. And I know we're all going through things. We're all going through things where you look at Epaphroditus. He was going through things where he was sick up to death. But he says, you know what? I got to make it because Paul needs me. I got to make it because, yes, I'm going through this, but this guy's in jail, so I got to make it for him. What are you going to do for the person that needs your help? For the person that has a need? And I know it's hard because we're all going through something, and we're all going through uh, really a, tr- a national trauma of various ways. But what they find is one of the best ways to heal Sometimes it's just to extend a hand to somebody else. It's sometimes it's just to, to, to bless somebody else. Paul says in, in 2 Timothy, I don't have it, but I'm paraphrasing it. He says, I'm going to go to heaven. I, I'm going through all that persecution, but I'm doing it because I want the elect to be in the kingdom of God with me. I want the others to be in the kingdom of God with me. There's a whole host of suffering right now, a whole host of people that can use your help. We have an orphanage in Haiti that can use your help. We have people in the church that can use your help. So my question to you is, what are you going to do to have an impact on this generation? Paul saw heaven... I'm going to encourage you in worship, and worship team guys can come. We're going to close. I'm going to, and we're going to close with, don't go anywhere. We're going to have um, sense in. To prioritize God, to prioritize the kingdom of God. That's Paul. Paul saw heaven, and, and everything that he did after that was to build the kingdom of heaven. Epaphroditus saw the needs of others. When you see God, when you're in the presence of God, the true answer to seeing the glory of God is to turn around and say to God, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. I want to do your will in the land of the living. I want to do your will in this earth. And it's to go back and be a blessing. If you've been blessed, you turn around and you're a blessing to others. But sometimes it's not easy. So you need to be in discipleship. You need to be in relationship with people that have gone that route ahead of you so that you can be trained and formed. Bible study, uh, Sunday school, Zoom Sunday school. And when are we opening again? This thing's over. We're having sense and stamina, it's over. Like if you're having sense and COVID's over. Amen. But it's time to get to work for the kingdom of God. That special someone. The Bible is done. It's written. But the story of God continues. And it continues with me. It continues with you. God bless you.